This is the Editor's Half Hour. Step into the life of an editor for 30 minutes as we discuss the craft of editing, industry trends, and editorial resources. Your host is co-founder and CEO of Peak Publishing, Inc., Nadia Jaja Pupa. She is experienced in all facets of the publishing industry, from editing to design, and works with corporate clients and self-published authors. Nadia and her guests are about to share powerful insights and stories on what it takes to be an editor. And this is your host, Nadia Jaja Pupa. Welcome, listeners, to the universally acknowledged truth about romance. I am so excited to talk about this topic. It's been on my mind since last year. I wanted to have an episode devoted to romance. This isn't, by the way, going to be the first episode that we'd cover this topic. There's so much to dive into with romance. And today, on this episode, I have the best guest, Sarah Calfi. She she specifically focuses on romance, and that is amazing. And I know that there are other editors that do the same. And I'm jealous and envious of these editors. I wish I could just devote my life to editing romance, but I cannot wait. So anyway, welcome, Sarah. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Hi, um, <clears throat> I am Sarah, like you said, from uh, Three Little Words Romance Editing. Um, I've been a freelancer for about five years, since 2019. And from the very beginning, I've been focusing specifically on romance. I am so jealous. I wish I could just do that. I'm, and I also love your website, by the way. Your website is called Three Little Words, uh, which probably stand for I Love You, right? Yep, correct. <laughs> I was scouring your website yesterday um, because I always, you know, mentally prepare myself before we do recordings. And you know what I learned about you? I don't think we ever talked about the fact that you lived in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I did. I used to for yeah, about eight yeah. years. Yeah, I loved it there. I, I didn't know that. I used to live in Chicago. I oh, think we may have been living. Yes, I when? think we what may years? have been in Chicago. It was like 2008 all the way to like 2012. Oh, you know what? I moved I moved after 2008. Oh, okay. I, I went to Dublin to be with my partner. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you wrote about it on your website. So I want to encourage listeners to check out Sarah's website, threelittlewordsediting.com. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's let's get started. Oh, where do we start, Sarah? There's so much to talk about. We and by the way, I just want to add that we bonded. We have so much in common and Sarah and I bonded. We both have two boys and we just share a lot in that world alone. Um, and so when we met, we've met a few times on Zoom and we've had some one-on-ones and we really really connected and I just like was so excited that she finally agreed to be on the podcast. It's finally happening. And it's like, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> okay, let's get started. So um, let's talk about your your career path and your journey and how you got into romance. What was it that finally led you into this world? And you were like, that's it. This is all I'm going to do. I'm going to edit romance. What was that like? Okay, well, I had a kid and I went on mat mm -hmm. leave and I needed something flexible and I decided, um, I, I thought about my skill set, which was um, I have an MFA in creative writing. I had been teaching English for about eight years. And I have a deep and abiding love of books. 
and I decided I'd like to try freelance editing. So I started to train myself up and I wanted to focus on one, on one genre and really dig into it and get really good at that one genre. And I chose romance because it's so popular and I figured I'd be able to find, um, clients that way. Um, I'll be honest, when I first started as a romance editor, romance was not technically my favorite because, I don't know, the romance from my adolescence wasn't really for me personally. I never was really into like the whole alpha hero who's mad and it was just not for me. But then romance has evolved so much since 2000. And like I started reading the books and I got really into it. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a, 100% 100% romance lover now and I'm excited. It's great. I, love that. I know. I know it's so I I like I said I'm so envious of that because I wish that's all I could do all day was <laughs> just reading these manuscripts that are fabulous because you're right it has evolved over time. It isn't the, you know, the alpha male that's domineering and overpowering on these women. I mean, some women do like stories that have that, but I think it has changed for the better in some ways where um, it's not like the woman the, or the female character doesn't have a choice, you know? So I think that's, that's really, it's eye-opening. And I think that's why it's exploding even more, more than ever before. People are better um, at labeling what they want. Um, there's like a whole mm-hmm. like world for um, the readers that want that overbearing male that protects yeah. you and tells you what to do. And, you know, is really you know and if they're into that you can find it and there there's like it's a lot of it is like mafia or like i don't know what they call it i think it's motorcycle or whatever that's not for me personally but like it's there and you know there's for whatever taste there is a book for you in the romance world yeah yeah well what's your favorite trope what is your favorite because there's so many i mean there's the right now i'm reading one that's i think you would consider like a forbidden romance where it's the professor and a student like, I think that, is that what it's considered when, it, or is that its own thing? The that professor student, its thing. own That trope. is a thing. I cannot think what that would okay. be called, but yeah, maybe age gap or, yeah. you know, professor and student yeah. forbidden. Yeah. Forbidden yeah. love for sure. Yeah. 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 What's your favorite though? Um, my favorite, you know, obviously is, uh, one of my favorites is, uh, enemies to lovers. Um, Yes. And every, you know, Pride and Prejudice started that. Well, it didn't start it, but it yes. kind of exploded it. And um, mm-hmm. that's definitely, definitely a mm-hmm. enemies to lovers. But I'll be honest and say that my catnip isn't really tropes. Um, what I love, and this is not what all romance readers prefer, but I really love a strong external plot. I like, you know, an adventure. I like um, fantasy or sci-fi or espionage or mystery. And I like that with a really strong romance where there are, there's a very, very clear character arc where the two romance protagonists are like figuring out how they fit together. And, you know, they, they have to really work hard to get to the point where they're emotionally capable of a of yeah. a healthy relationship. Yes. So I like all the internal angst and the external angst. And if you can throw in yeah. banter and, and <laughs> comedy, I'm, I'm a diehard fan. Oh, I love that. It sounds like such a, like a well-rounded, you know, really good story, even with like subplots. You posted something recently on Instagram and I commented on it or something about subplots and how sometimes those 
those can get forgotten. You know, when you're looking at a raw manuscript, you know, and you're identifying the subplots, those they're important, right? Like they're they're they support like you can't have a story without them. You need subplots. And sometimes they the there's like loose ends that don't get tied and things like that. So when you're editing, do you have markers for those? Like, how do you handle, uh, you know, mapping out the plot, but then also mapping out like that subplot when you're, you know, dealing with like maybe a breakout author? Um, well, it, you know, it depends on what I'm doing. Like if it's an, uh, mm-hmm. just as an, generally, um, you can't focus on all the subplots. Um, I do say, I, you know, that it's important, like, especially with the romance, since the romance happens emotionally for the most part, like the romance plot is happening internally. So you need to use the subplots to kind of trigger, um, certain events so that the romance protagonists are having emotions based, not, you know, based on the external event that occurred, but you know, how that impacts their relationship. So the subplots are important for that kind of a thing. But like, um, mm-hmm. I break down like uh, my my books with um, the romance plot, and then there are the two external plots, which I will label like if I was doing an editorial report for Jane Austen and she gave me Pride and Prejudice, I would call yeah. the there would be the romance plot, the Elizabeth plot, and the Darcy plot, and the Elizabeth plot and the Darcy okay. plot is like their external plot what they're after and the you know in the world and what's preventing them from getting it and all the little things along the way so that kind of simplifies it i used to try to do like plot a plot b plot c <laughs> that just yes, got so confusing yes. see that's what i that's what i was thinking about okay so this is now let's get into this because this is what i think the listeners are dying to hear the the copy editors are dying to hear um tell us more about that how you're how you work i mean do you do you, um, if a client had a, a manuscript and they approached you and you're starting the work, do you require them to send you like a character list or do you develop that for them? Do you structure the outline or do they send you an outline? I mean, I want to know how you work. I want to know all the details and the, in the weeds, well, you know, it's aspect of this. It's really evolved. I used to write like, okay. I know some editors will ask an author mm-hmm. to do that. Um, and maybe I would have in the past. I wouldn't bother now. Um, basically, it's it's a big evolution. I used to have, like, these really intricate, like, documents about how to s- separate everything out. And then it just, I realized that the biggest lesson I took from that is that um, a story is so layered in together you can't really separate it like if you start trying to separate things out it's like where does it belong what where do I put it then you end up with the document next you know like a notes that is like 50 pages long and the book is only like <laughs> I don't know 50,000 words oh, so see. your document is nearly I as see. long as the well I, I mean that's why I did it a lot of I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of a bonkers editor you know like I I, I, I do too much <laughs> I just do too much usually. I love it. So what I've learned to do is use but, the actual manuscript as kind of like the, so I have my own notes, but I, I use the manuscript mm-hmm. to kind of hold everything together. So like if I'm doing an editorial report, I, I read the manuscript and then I label 
inside with my own notes, like usually in a friendly blue font, I have like scene A, scene B, scene C. And then on top of that, I have um, the three main plots. You know, I have like the romance plot, the Elizabeth plot and the Darcy plot. And then I have recommendations. So as I read through, I, you know, create a little one line summary of what scene A is about, one line summary about what scene B and scene C or whatever. And then, you know, I, I talk about what's working or not working in the romance, the Elizabeth or the Darcy plot, what's missing. I put in a few recommendations and I move forward from there. Sometimes I leave a few notes. I love that. Yeah. So, so do you, so I, and I want to make sure that we're very clear too, because you're not, sometimes you go outside of just that copy editing level where you're, well, this you're is, providing ideas. This is not a right? copy so, edit. This would be a developmental edit. D- okay. So like okay. the copy edit and, is like, you know, the grammar and punctuation. Like I don't even touch right. that. This is story level. Yeah. Story level. You're, you're giving, you're providing your clients with ideas too, like maybe how to improve the romance plot. Yeah. So that's where I kind of take a hard left that I don't think other editors do because I know I love that you do this though go ahead so sorry I'm just kidding so (laughs) so um when I was first starting out and I'm a little embarrassed to admit this but like you know when you're on your own doing independent editing you're just kind of feeling things out so I started off doing like these really long really really long editorial reports like you know up to 70 pages I mean just yes 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 to put this in context like what the standard long developmental report, editorial report is like maximum yes. 10 pages. So mine were, yes. <laughs> mine were kind of like <laughs> how to write a romance novel, which would then go into, wow. you know, what's going wrong with your book. And sometimes I would yes. you know, look at too many aspects of it. And then, I would do like, this is how you fix it. And then I would basically do an outline using the romance plot, kind of showing like possibilities for fixing it. And as I was doing this, I just kept going and I was like, oh no, what am I doing? And I would talk to other editors at conferences and they were like, yeah, that's a little long. So I got it down to like (laughs) 35 pages and I was really proud of myself. And people were like, yeah, we only normally do 10. So I was like, okay, okay. I need to think about what I'm doing. So then I just was like, okay, well, I'll see if people want this because I also realized that um, my hourly rate was very low because I was putting in too much effort, too much time. So I thought, Mm -hmm. well, I like the outline. I enjoy doing it. So I I raised my prices and I said, um, I actually was inspired by Nadia. She's like, you should call it the elite dev edit or the word elite should be in there. I'm like, ooh, yes, that sounds lovely. (laughs) So I changed it and then I kind of outlined exactly what I do for that outline because I even had a chat with one of my authors and she was like, you know, I don't love the outline. So I was thinking, you know what? Mm. I should definitely tell people what I'm up to. And then, you know, if they don't want it, then I'll know they don't want it. And I can just give them like, you know, 10 to 15 pages because I'm Sarah and I'm ridiculous. I do too much (laughs) instead of seven (laughs) or 10. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> but you're so passionate about it. That's the thing. You know, you care. You genuinely care. There's some authors you know? that or some editors who are like, you should cover no more than three topics in your editorial report. Okay. And you know what? I do. Okay. I just really get in depth. Yes. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. You know, I, and by the way, you're so are we in my mind, I call that like a manuscript evaluation. Is that the same thing? Are we talking about the same thing when you say editorial report? Probably, you know, that's the other thing. OK, you know, you with with the with editors like, you know, the terms for different editing levels change depending on, you know, the editor, the author, publishing house, what they mean when they say it. So yes, evaluation could be that you're, I think an evaluation tends to be shorter and less expensive and like an, yeah. an, a report tends to be a bit deeper yes. in general. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And so I, and I just love that you call it like elite level because that's <laughs> what was that idea, the highest so. level. <laughs> I, I, it was I'm my idea. Surprised. I just love it. <laughs> uh, but we talked about so much when we met. And, and I think that was really eye-opening for me is, you know, there's the copy editing, right? Then there's the dev editing. But you you take it so far beyond. I mean, you're really like hand-holding in a good way. I mean, if the author wants that. But you're providing insight into what the story could possibly be, you know, they have a great, they may have a great foundation, but then here comes Sarah, you know, you open the doors and Sarah's like, look at this shiny new <laughs> manuscript you could have, you know, and, and showing the author what it could be and what it could become. Yeah. And so I'm pretty sure you told me and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure you told me that you've even gone as far as to write because you have that creative writing background, you've gone as far as to write samples. Like this is a sample, you know, dialogue between these two characters, something like, is that right? Did you do that yes or no? And no. So basically okay. the way it works is sometimes, especially at the beginning of a book, like the author has like the, the, the beginning can be quite solid, like the first couple chapters and I can copy and paste their work and using their work, I can kind of tweak here and there, maybe change a few lines just to show what is a possibility. Um, when I create the outline, it's usually in summary form. And sometimes I'll throw okay. in a, a few lines of dialogue, but it's definitely not like straight. Like it's not a ghost right. It's just kind of like, no, one of one of the major problems I see with a lot of authors, even authors who have written yeah. for a long time is like, I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's a lost skill or if it's something that you just don't learn. But, and I've learned this through my deep studying of the Jane Austen and her plot and how she puts her book together. And that is, there's mm -hmm. there's not much seeding of a new of a new plot or a subplot, and then like the action, oh. and then the consequences of that action, and then people talking about the consequences of that action, and kind of like the emotional responses okay. and like where we're going to go next and the new set of goals and where that takes you. There's like, you know, that, that series of events, that chain of events yeah. is often like just kind of an explosion of one thing that happens and then everybody goes along their merry way and sometimes even forget what did yeah. occur, you know, last chapter. I see. I see. So you like, you like seeing, and, it, and it's true, you know, that smooth 
progression of events where it's a well-rounded uh, experience versus just explosions of things. Yeah. And like and, and leading more somewhere. discussions around it. <laughs> leading <Yeah>. somewhere. <laughs> and that's the other thing. That like I'm going to bring Jane Austen back in because this is where I've yes, learned so much about craft is that yes. <clears throat> Jane Austen was like, she has like two main points. There's also one in the beginning, but um, like she has like the midpoint that horrible <laughs> like if anybody's seen Jane Austen the book the Pride and Prejudice the book or the movies there's that horrible marriage proposal from Darcy yes. to Elizabeth oh. and it is just yes. such a pleasure <laughs> to watch because it's been so carefully crafted to get to that point and like that's a peak an emotional peak and like all this yeah. stuff happens after it because of that peak and all the fallout that occurred. And then you move on to the, the next thing where it's the other big thing that occurs, which is when Lydia runs off or Elizabeth finds out that Lydia runs yes. off with Wickham and then, you know, yes, yep. yeah, but it's amazing. And it brings all these things together. And like the subplot, like there are subplots that can happen off page. So, you know, while yes. Elizabeth and Darcy are, like, getting to know each other, Lydia's running off with Wickham. <laughs> and I then know, she finds out it. about it's... it at the most critical moment where she's like, oh, my God, I'm falling in love. And he's, like, probably coming in to propose. <laughs> and then she gets the letter. And she's like, I'm ruined. Oh, no. <laughs> I, love, I love Pride and Prejudice. Of all of Jane Austen's novels, that is my ultimate. I think it's, I mean, it's it's a hard, you know, top novel in in the the austin library of books you know then the second would be probably sense and sensibility but um okay let's talk about jane austen you know (laughs) you brought her up uh at the very beginning of the conversation let's circle back because you've got a ton of jane austen inspired things on your website um you also educate not just not authors but also other editors on this topic so talk to us about the fabulous p and p pride and prejudice uh stuff that you've got going on okay well it's it's kind of a little journey that started when i was first studying romance um i was like oh i know i'll study jane austen's pride and prejudice because it'll it'll you know help me to figure this out and then mm-hmm. i was just like at first i was a bit confused like okay so basically jane austen's romance plot for pride and prejudice is really advanced, like really advanced. And like, if you follow the Darcy romance, like his, his, his journey through the romance plot, it's, it's a lot clearer than if you look at Elizabeth's. Um, mm-hmm. But then like the deeper I looked, the more I saw. And then I'm like looking at this plot and all these subplots and how everything is like weaving in together. And I'm getting more and more excited because I'm I'm feeling like I'm walking through the Sistine Chapel here because this is this plot is amazing and I'm like I see all the intent behind all the things she was doing <clears throat> and my mind is completely blown so I'm like I have to turn this into a book like people need to see what Jane Austen has done and it's like the stuff she does the writing strategies she uses are completely applicable to a modern day novel um I can, uh, I, I've started like based on my research. So I'm writing a book called How to Pride and Prejudice. Um, I've been working on it for a little while. I'm like, I think I'm going to complete it this year in 2024. But based on oh, my I can't en- wait. <laughs> end of 2023, 
and and I will pre I'm I'm a huge weirdo. Like this, I pretty much listen. Well, to how to pride? I, I listen to Pride and Prejudice to fall asleep at night. So I have the book memorized. Oh. It's like in my head. You you ask me, I can probably oh. tell you <laughs> what happens in no which way. chapter. I'm not kidding. It's bonkers. Oh, I love that. And so like, I, so it's like an obsession. <laughs> <I'm> so obsessed. <laughs> it's a true obsession. But <laughs> it, it really works because I I apply it yeah. to my work. I have this book in my head. Like I have this entire template of a book in my head, so that when I do a developmental edit, I don't feel lost. It, it's kind of like a flashlight showing me where I'm at wow. in the story. But anyway, back to Jane Austen and her brilliance. Like yeah. um, I, I've been doing yeah. these little tips and tricks, you know, about how you can apply, um, some of Jane Austen's writing strategies. So for example, Jane Austen contrasts her characters and uses that to excellent effect. Like, for example, if you look at, um, Darcy and Bingley, Darcy is clever, reserved, snobby, and he tends to offend everybody. And his best friend is slightly less clever. He's sunny. He talks to everybody and people love him. And you can look at Elizabeth and Jane, her sister, her best sister. Elizabeth is witty. She's funny. She's judgmental. And she's very confident in her assessment of other people, which is usually negative. And Jane is sweet, loving, and she believes in the best. She believes the best in everybody. And if someone even shows a hint of a negative character trait, she's going to look for reasons to explain it all away. Um, So... Jane Austen uses this these contrasting elements in her characters to like excellent effect. For example, like at the ball when you first meet Darcy and Bingley, you know, Bingley dances with all the ladies, he's chatting with everybody. Right. Right. Everyone loves Mr. him, Social. everybody thinks he's great. Then mm-hmm. Darcy like refuses to dance with anybody but Bingley's sisters. He's looking down at everyone, he's making everybody really mad at him. So yeah, she uses that to, you know, yeah, she uses that to, to introduce them that first time. Right. right. And then after the ball, Jane and, and after the ball, there's a whole conversation with Elizabeth and Jane and they're discussing the events of the ball. And, you know, Jane is talking about how great Bingley is and how great Bingley's sisters are. And Elizabeth's like, well, I I like Bingley, but I don't like his sister. So she's able to like show the different viewpoints, the experiences and like the different personalities just by having these different people who are, yeah. 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 And those conversations reveal so much. I mean, and they're so, and we still identify today because, you know, when I think of, you know, my family, my sisters, whenever we would have a party, there's always that debrief. There's that debrief between siblings. Like, what did you think of this person? Or what did you, did you see what he was wearing? (laughs) You know, those types of things, but that sister talk, that sibling talk. And, um, I think that's, you hit the nail on the head with this. I mean, you're really, you've got it down. I mean, you've, you've examined it to that level and to that degree. And by applying those principles, you're showing your, you know, authors, your clients, you know, really good foundational things 
And I am just so, I am so like in love with this whole concept because I love Jane Austen. I love Pride and Prejudice. I read it when I was in, I think a senior in high school and I just fell in love. And I just, oh, I remember the day I finished it. I just felt like I was on a cloud. You know, it was one of my favorite books of all time. It still is one of my favorites. Um, um, how old were you? When did you read it? When did you when did it, how did it change your life? <laughs> well, you know what? Honestly, when I first read it, I actually thought it was a little bit dense and hard to understand. And I was just like, oh yeah, this is okay. And then I watched the night, you know, I watched like the 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice with Colin yep, Firth. And then I was like, oh yeah, this of is course. so good. And I'm watching Clueless and I'm watching like all these shows and, you know, uh, Bridget Jones's Diary. That's a parody of um, Pride and Prejudice. Oh yeah. And, you know, I was Absolutely. just like... I got to give her another chance. And I read it. And I was like, this is really good. And I have a tip. If you are interested in Jane Austen, but like you're having a hard time reading her books, um, listening to it verbally, like on an audio book, it translates so well to audio. In fact, I believe Jane Austen used to read her books to her family. So like it's designed basically to be read out loud. It's perfect. It's so much easier to understand it. because the sentences are really, really long and you're, you're not used to that. But like if it's just audio, it just it feels so it, it's so natural and it's easy to understand. And it's just fabulous. I love that. There's that so much genius behind Jane Austen's novels. And now you're inspiring me to listen to the audio of Pride and Prejudice. I've never done that. Oh, you and, should. And I, I've watched it. It's, it's worth it. It is. It is. I, 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 you're totally inspiring me because in the movies, there's, they don't, they can't fully capture everything that happens in the books. There are so many instances, more instances with Darcy than there are, you know, in the movies, the movie, the movie versions never, unless you'd watch the BBC version, I think that actually did capture almost everyone. But um, okay, so you touched on a little topic that I wanted to circle back on. And I don't know if we have enough time, but I really love how you mentioned connecting with other editors, and in your editorial community, and how it inspired you to change how you um, do things with your business. And it changes how you maybe approach the clients. Like you said, somebody said, Oh, Sarah, 60 pages. You know, you don't know those things <laughs> until you no. talk to other editors. And they're like, actually, you're doing a little too much, you know? Um, so I want to hear a little bit more about that and who, who you're, who you connect with, um, and, and, um, kind of the importance of doing that, you know, and how it changes things. Um, I think going to conferences is really, really powerful, um, especially if you can manage to get there in person. Um, I mean, it might be good to do it online. I'm, I'm not sure. I've like kind of avoided doing that because I prefer to get away from my computer when I'm not working. Um, but yeah, like all the friends I've made in the editorial world have mainly been you know, like going to, I'm uh, a professional member of the CIEP. That's the Chartered Institute for something and something. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't remember. They just that's changed okay. it recently, but it's, it's the uh, editors group here in England where I yes. live. And um, yeah, so that's basically it. And you can make friends online, which is, you know, with video chat, but yeah, it's like it's really nice to have a group of like four or five editors that you can connect with. And like if you have a really stupid question to ask about grammar because you forgot something, you, you can just, right. you know, kind of send them a little, you know, help. Yeah. And how do you do this instead of like broadcasting it to everybody and getting like right. 20 different replies on Facebook, which can be really <laughs> annoying. <laughs> right. 
right. I love that. I really, really love that because I want to encourage, and I really want to encourage more editors to do the same, especially the ones that are the newbie editors. Um, I want them to find and connect with other editors. I think that will be a game changer for them. Um, it's, it'll yeah, help. Joining a, joining a group mm-hmm. is definitely the way to go. Yeah. I love it. Well, I, to wrap this up, uh, I wish we could continue. There's so much more to say about Jane Austen and there's so much more to say about you, Sarah. There's so much more to talk <laughs> about. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely revisit romance again, but, uh, I want to encourage listeners to visit Sarah's website. It's a wonderful website. I love the way that you have everything structured and set up, um, follow Sarah on Instagram. She's got a wonderful page and she posts great stuff. Uh, it's all very much related to Jane Austen and P and P pride and prejudice and look out later this year, I hope for the book, how to pride and prejudice. I think it's going to be a fabulous book and I can't wait to, to read it and get my hands on it and hopefully get a signed copy. That's what I'm counting on Sarah. Let's make it happen. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the editor's half hour. This podcast is your go-to resource for editorial trends, opening the discussion for new ideas through the real life stories of editors. For more information about Nadia Jaja Pupa and her business, visit peakpublishing.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E publishing.com. Be sure to follow Peak Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember to subscribe and follow The Editor's Half Hour wherever you get your podcasts.